Open your Bibles to the book of Philippians, please. One of the ways that I have served the Lord over the years is helping churches with their sound systems. And uh, it's just some kind of a hobby thing that I picked up along the way and got started in Bible college. And, and uh, a pastor called me one time and he said, hey, we, we've bought a new church building. They, they had an old building. They were actually planning to build a new one, but a, a church became available that was in good shape. So I said, we... We bought this building, and they took their sound system with them, so we bought some new equipment, and they had wires in the floor, and so we plugged everything in, but it doesn't sound right. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll be glad to come over and, and take a look at it. So I did, and I came over, and I looked at the wires, and I looked at the equipment, and, and uh, sure enough, they hadn't hooked it up right. Everything was there that they needed. They didn't need any more wires, it was all there, but they weren't using it the way it needed to be used, and so they weren't getting the benefit out that was intended to be part of that. I believe the Christian life is that way in many regards, especially in the sense that when we come to Christ, we don't know much about how to live for Him, and, and He has designed the Christian life such that when we live for Him, there is blessing that comes in, in exchange. When I trust the Lord with my money by giving to Him, He takes care of me. When I give Him my service, He takes care of me. And similarly, when I get my mind and my heart around the things that He wants them to be around, the result is peace in my life. But there has to be a growing understanding of God's truth in order for that peace to be a reality. And I believe that the book of Philippians speaks to that issue of peace, of living in peace no matter what comes. And so we're going to be starting into the book of Philippians and spend the next few months here on Sunday mornings trying to understand what God would have us to know so that we could experience his peace as he has intended for us. Follows, I read just the first two verses this morning. Paul and Timothy Bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're, if you're really new to the Bible, you need to understand that Philippi was a place. It was a town. Uh, he could have been saying to all of the saints in Ferndale, it was a place, it's over in the north, what we would call the northeast of Greece today. And he had been there and done the Lord's work and started a church and then moved on. And he, when he is writing the book now, he's writing from prison. He says Timothy is with him, Paul and Timothy together. They didn't necessarily write it together. God spoke through the apostle Paul, but Timothy was there serving with him. And he's writing it to the church in Philippi, and he takes special mention of the bishops and deacons, which is, a, which is a, a way to say I'm writing especially to the leadership of the church. And then he goes on in verse 2 to give what, what we would call a normal greeting. If I see you in the morning, I might say good morning or good afternoon in the afternoon, etc. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, what's happening? We have all these normal greetings that we use. And the words grace and peace brought together two normal greetings. The word grace was a normal greeting the Greeks would use. And the, and the word uh, peace was the normal greeting that is still used by Hebrew people today. The word shalom is the Hebrew word. The word, uh, 
The word in Greek is actually Irene, uh, where we get the name Irene from. But Paul doesn't just say grace and peace to you because he's got to say something nice at the beginning of the letter. God didn't waste any words when he wrote the Bible. You know, it was just, you know, Paul wasn't sitting there going, oh, let's see, to the Philippians, uh, grace and peace to you. Now what I really want to talk about. I believe that in God's economy, he, has, he uses everything that we see here in the Bible. And so I just want to focus on this phrase here, peace from God our Father today. Now the first thing that, you, that I would have you understand is this, the school of peace is difficulty. The school of peace is difficulty. The Apostle Paul is not writing this book from an overstuffed chair or a lazy boy uh, or whatever you consider to be comfortable. Uh, he's not even sitting at a desk with a computer or a pen and paper. He is under house arrest. If we understand uh, the book of Acts 28, chapter 28 correctly, he was under house arrest for perhaps two years in the city of Rome. Now, he was released from that arrest and later sometime arrested again and put in what we refer to as the, uh, the prison in Rome, the Mamertine prison. But here he's under house arrest. He has a certain degree of freedom, but he, he has a soldier that is guarding him. And he had to come to this arrest, this house arrest, through a sea voyage coming over from what we would call, um, you know, up north of Lebanon, up that way, traveling by boat via a shipwreck. And of course, there was no Coast Guard to run out and scoop them out of the sea and take them to land. They floated on the pieces of the ship and were at the mercy and the help of people on an island and eventually made it to Rome. He was not in control of his own life. The tone of his life was poverty. Now, at the, at the end of the book of Philippians, he says, I know how to have a lot and I know how to have a little. But the tone of his life was poverty in the sense of being always dependent on other people. He really practiced what Jesus told the original disciples. He said, go out and go to a city and whoever receives you, stay with them. I mean, the Apostle Paul would walk into town and he'd look for a synagogue, which was a place of Jewish worship. In the case of Philippi, he looked around, there was no synagogue. And so he said, well, if there are any Jewish people here, if there's no synagogue, they'll be at the river because they had to do ritual washing to be clean in order to worship. And so he went down to the river, and there were some people there, but he didn't have a hotel reservation, and he didn't have an RV that he was traveling in. He went down and, and shared the gospel. Some of those people got saved, and one of those people said, Hey, come stay in my house. The Lord provided, but he was completely dependent on other people for his ministry, for his uh, for his livelihood, to stay alive. He was poorly treated often by many people. You know, in one place he went to serve the Lord, he was stoned and left for dead. And even the Christians, we're going to read about later in chapter 1, there were some Christians in Rome who were out preaching with a desire to make Paul's circumstances worse. I, I don't exactly know how the Christian ministry goes together with 
with that. I don't know how that works, but somehow there were even Christians who were making his life uncomfortable. His future was uncertain. He didn't know what was ahead from this time of house arrest. He, he knew he would get to speak to Caesar because he had appealed to Caesar, and that was a Roman right. It was like going to the Supreme Court. He said, I'm a citizen, I appealed to Caesar. And so, <coughs> so there could be no execution of sentence before Caesar heard his case. But other than that, his future was uncertain. He had no wife or children that we know of. Now, it's possible, likely, that early in his life he was married because he was part of the, the ruling body of Israel, and you had to be 30 years old and married to get in, among other things. But we know, by this time, there's no wife in the picture, and I would assume that she has, she has died. And the reason I say he had no wife or children is as I was just thinking about his situation this week, and, and if I were to think, what are the things that, that help bring peace in my life? Part of it is my wife and children. You know, when something good happens, I, I like to pick up the phone. I can't do that all the time now because of my wife's work, but I can send an email. Um, or she picks up the phone and calls me, whatever. You know, that, that whole family thing that's just kind of the normal thing. You have somebody to share with. You have somebody to lean on. You know, uh, when you have a difficulty, when, you, when you're sick, and they take care of you, uh, you know, and, and that sort of thing. He didn't have that. He didn't have family. I think we could summarize the life of, uh, that Paul lived by saying he was here experiencing and generally experienced the lack of all the things that we think brings peace. We think, I've got to be in control of my life. I've got to have enough to live on and to take care of things. People have to treat me well. I have to know what's coming in the future. I have to have family, etc., etc. We have all these things. The Apostle Paul had none of that. And yet he says, peace to you. And he goes on to write about uh, uh, how to be joyful and how to be peaceful and how to be thankful and all of these things. How was he able to do that? Well, I just want to, again, look at this phrase. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say this. The only source of real peace is God the Father. That's the thesis to this whole study. The only real source of peace is from God the Father. And the reason for that starts with this. Only God can forgive sin, thereby removing guilt. Only God can forgive sin, thereby removing guilt. Guilt is a huge obstacle to peace. I think the best example of the definition of guilt comes from the first sins on the planet. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took, she sinned, she rebelled against God. She took of its fruit and ate, even though he said, don't do it. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now what happened? What happened when they sinned? Here's what happened. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Call that shame. I'm naked. Before, the scripture says they were both naked and unashamed. They were completely innocent and pure. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife 
hid themselves from the presence of the Lord coming on the tree, among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to Adam and said, Where are you? Now, did God need to ask? No, no. And so Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was really happy. I was excited. I was at peace. I felt good about life. No, when Adam sinned, the result was first of all shame and second of all fear. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself from you. Sin brings guilt. And guilt removes peace. Adam and Eve did wrong and immediately they knew it. They knew it right away. We know when we've done wrong... And we feel guilty about doing wrong. One of the columns that I enjoy reading, listen for the reason before I tell you why I enjoy reading it. In the Bellingham Herald, there's an advice column from some woman somewhere. It's not Dear Abby, but it's one of those. And I love to read it because I love to hear people's problems. And I love to hear what she says is the solution. You know? And, uh, boy, people have the, the, the... They really get their life twisted up sometimes. This lady wrote in uh, this week, and she said, I was in a store, a grocery store, doing the self-checkout, and the thing didn't work right, and I was so frustrated, I just picked my groceries up and walked out. It was 111 bucks worth of groceries. (laughs) I understand the frustrated part. That's why I don't go to the self-check in the grocery. And she said, boy, I just felt so bad. I went back and I told the store manager, hey, here's what happened. And the store manager said, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, and the advice lady said, he, he probably doesn't know where to put your money if he enters it in. He doesn't know what to do with it, you know. But the lady said, I'm still, I still feel guilty. I'm trying to figure out what to do about my guilt. Forgiveness cannot be taken. It has to be granted. The world says, just forgive yourself. You did wrong. We all know you did wrong. Just forgive yourself. The problem is that doesn't work. And it doesn't work because God has designed us with a conscience that only responds to Him and and that can only be cleaned when the blood of Christ washes it and the sin is washed out and the righteousness of Christ is implanted. God did that with Adam and Eve. He, He cleansed them to a degree. Now we understand from the book of Romans that that the full cleansing of sin in the Old Testament era didn't come till the cross of Christ. But he temporarily took care of their sin by clothing them with animal skins. Animals had to die. Blood was shed. The scripture tells us later, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And it tells us this, how much more, how much more than an animal sacrifice shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, that is a perfect sacrifice, How much more shall that cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You want to be guilt-free? There's one way and one way only, and that's through the forgiveness 
that God extends when you believe in Christ as your Savior alone. Peace begins with forgiveness. It's available, it's, 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 it's readily available, but it has to be received by our faith in Christ. Secondly, the source of peace is God, is God because only God can remove the fear of death. The fear of death, without doubt. Without doubt, one of the greatest fears that most people have is dying. You want to know why medical insurance is so expensive? Because people don't want to die. Not criticizing that, I'm just stating the fact. And we have had so much technical innovation that can extend life by curing a, an illness that people used to die of. My grandmother died of, of liver cancer when I was maybe in about fifth grade. And my, my mental impression is my grandma's sick, we went to the hospital, and the next thing you know, we're going to a funeral. Okay, these days, almost all cancers, life can be extended significantly. Some can be taken away. And the life can be extended a long time. We fear death. You know what? The fear of death is a good thing in this sense. We were not created to die. If somebody in the world tries to tell you that death is a normal part of life, you look them right in the eye and say, no, it's not. And when they say, what? Say, God created us to live forever. He was going to sustain us in, in, in the only way only he could through the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. But mankind sinned, and the punishment for sin is death. We were not created to die, and we do shun away from it. We fear it. Because it's not natural. It's not part of our life. It's not what God intended. It is the punishment for sin. But the great news is, even though it is unnatural, it can become something we don't have to fear. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. That's talking about Jesus. He shared in flesh and blood. He was the eternal Son of God who took on a human body, that through his death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, I'm not in any hurry to die. I don't think we ought to celebrate death in some macabre, strange way, but I do not think we should fear death. Death is a great unknown until, until we know God. Because when we believe in Christ, this becomes our reality. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. This is talking about when you believed in Christ as your Savior. You received the spirit of of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He says, when you believed in Christ, God put something within you. He calls it here the spirit of adoption. He's saying the Holy Spirit came in, and part of his ministry is one where you go, Daddy, to God. And, and, and that's not 
That's not taking him lightly. That's saying, I am that closely related to you. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. What does it mean to be a joint heir with Christ? What is Christ going to inherit? What? The universe, everything. God has given him a name because of the great sacrifice he made. He has highly exalted him, and he's given him the world. And we are right there alongside of him. That means when I look forward to, to the day that I will die, whether it is unexpected or normal in my old age, I can say, I'm going to inherit the universe with Jesus. Let's go. And those who truly know the Lord, like Elsie Forner, we have flowers on the platform here and here from, from Elsie Forner's memorial this week. She said, I don't know why the Lord leaves me here so long. I'm ready to go. And George Fujimoto said the same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'd be happy to be cured and healed, but I'm ready to go. You cannot talk that way without Christ. Because Christ gives us peace. He gives us peace. He removes the fear of death. And he gives us peace about our eternal future. The third reason that, that God is the only source of peace is only God can make sense of life's difficulties. Um, if you're interested in exploring this topic more deeply, we're doing it in my Sunday school class right now. We just started this morning. And we are going to look more deeply than I will right now. But, but suffice it to say right now, we look at a lot of things in the world and say that doesn't make sense. You know, I, it was either this week or a week before that a teenage girl lied in wait in a, in a high school restroom with a knife planning to stab somebody just because she wanted to do that. And she waited, and a girl came in, and she sprung out and attacked her and stabbed her multiple times and nearly killed her. And, and uh, her friend sort of intervened, and some boy out in the hallway, that's a hero, he heard the screaming, and he came running in and saved her life. Why did she do it? Just because she wanted to do it. We say, why does stuff like that happen? We look at the greedy money manager like Bertie Madoff and, and others who were arrested this week who have stolen on the scale of millions or billions of dollars. And we say, that's not fair. And we look much more simply at our own wallet that isn't that fat. It's empty more than it's full. And we say, that's not fair. And we wonder why there has to be such a thing as cancer. And we look at somebody else's family and wonder why ours isn't as nice as theirs. And outside of God, there is not an answer. Because in God, this is the answer. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that, that's, he's telling you how powerful he is. The God of peace is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete 
in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. God is at work in our lives, making us into the image of Christ. And we may not understand and we may not agree with the fairness of certain things, but make no mistake, God is at work and he will work if we are in him, trusting him. From the current issue of World Magazine, a commentator writes this, Scott and Janet Willis lost six children in a single day when a piece of metal fell off a truck and punctured the gas tank of their minivan. That's the part of the story that's public, so I'm not going to tell tales out of school. The accident unraveled a corruption scandal of bribes for driver's licenses, funneled into campaign chest, and ultimately sent a governor of Illinois to prison. But this isn't an essay about meeting the Willises 17 years later at a Christian conference and about Psalm 30, but this is about meeting them and about Psalm 34 and the triumph of Christ by the simple and most elusive of acts, believing God. But by the ball of fire that consumed their minivan on Interstate 94, Scott, his face badly burned, said to his wife, Right after this accident happened, six of their children died. He's burned. What she told me, what his wife told me, are the best words he... he, His wife said, what he told me are the best words he could have said. It was very quick, and they're with the Lord now. And then as he was helped into one ambulance and she into another, he called back to her, Psalm 34... Surrounded by emergency responders, Janet kept praying out the words of Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. With the accent on will. I believe it was the same way Jesus must have cried to his father. I will put my trust in him. Not from a lotus position, but in torment. Is it fair that those six children died? No, not by my human way of thinking. But those two parents chose to believe in God, and God gave them peace. God can give us peace if we trust in him, because he will make sense out of life's difficulties. Sometimes he'll do it now, sometimes he'll do it later. But he is going to make sense out of it. There's a fourth reason that God is the source of peace, and it's this. Only God's sovereign love can alleviate your anxieties about the future. Only God's sovereign love. And if if you're not familiar with the word sovereign, it means to be the ruler. Um, It's used of kings on this earth, and it's certainly used of God to describe the fact that he rules the world and accomplishes his purposes. Listen to these words from an Old Testament prophet. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. You know what the word blessed means in the Old Testament? It means happy, literally. Happy is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, 
and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. The old song says, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds my hand. As we face tomorrow, God is with us. God can give us peace, whether we know what's coming or not. Another clipping uh, about another event from, from World Magazine that I read this week. Gene Rawls knew layoffs were possible, but the 22-year Wells Fargo employee didn't expect to be in the first wave. He looked around the meeting room with some 200 others, and before anyone said a word, they knew that he knew that even his position as vice president of continuous improvement was gone. Even as he thought to himself, I didn't see this coming, he had a more important realization. God did see it coming. So right away, I had that reminder that the Lord is in control. God can give us peace because he is the one who holds the future. We don't have to be in control. How do we get peace from God? Well, the experience of peace, first of all, comes through a relationship with God. And that relationship begins with faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior. Um, Romans 5 puts it this way, Therefore, having been justified or made righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved through his life. The greatest source the greatest lack of peace that you have is because you are not right with God. And when you come to a point of truly believing in Christ alone for your salvation, God takes away your sin and implants the joy and peace of Christ. The question you have to ask today is, are you willing to admit you're a sinner? Are you willing to believe in Christ alone? Not Christ plus your good works, not Christ plus anything else, but in Christ alone. The guilt that we feel over sin is meant by God to drive us to him. God wants us to feel guilty. He wants us to feel guilty so that we will go to him and have our guilt taken care of. He is the one who can give us forgiveness and freedom of heart. If you're laboring under a guilty conscience today, worried about your eternal future, you can be free today. And I hope that if, if you have not been free before today, you will come to that point of faith today. Relationship begins with faith in Christ. Number two, relationship with God grows by putting off sin. If you are lacking peace as a believer in Christ, one of the places to start to look for the reason is, am I allowing sin to continue in my life? This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles or the unbelievers walk in the futility of their mind. If you're living in sin, you're living in the futility of the unsaved world. 
having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. You can't have God's peace if you're alienated because of sin, because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. We are daily presented with choices to be made about living in sin or righteousness as believers. We can either live in the way of God or in the normal common sense way. What is the normal common sense way to get peace in your life? Well, the first one is to anesthetize yourself. You know what that means? That means get enough substance on board so that your problems don't bother you. Great many people in the world treat their problems this way, and, and many of them are not alcoholics by outward visible standards. But they can't wait to get home at night and get some alcohol on board because they know it will make them forget the troubles of the day. And if you're trusting in alcohol, or you name it, to take away the difficulty of the day, then you're not trusting in God. The second way we try to handle our difficulties and bring peace is, is amusement. Fun, happiness, things that are great. These are things that are not sinful in and of themselves. But they divert our attention away from our problems and difficulties, and we, for a period of time, we enjoy an activity. Oh, it's fun, it's fun, it's fun. I think for some people, going to church is one of those amusements. They come to church and they feel pretty good. Some churches have meetings every day of the week because they've got to keep people kind of pumped up. If you're trusting in some form of amusement to get your mind off of the problems that can't be solved, it's a sin. And you'll forgive my use of alliteration, but I just have to. The person who administrates your life is the person who controls your life. A great many people try to get peace in life by controlling it. Uh, they want to control who does what and what goes where, and if things don't stack up right, they cry and stamp their feet or get angry or whatever, and they're working to control their life, and when they get really out of control, it's when they break down. God doesn't want you to be in control of your life. The truth is, even if you think you are, or you think you want to be, you aren't. But you've got to let go of that in order to cling to God and let Him control it by His sovereign love. You know, there's another way that I think people try to make up for the lack of peace in their life, and it's by accomplishment. They, they, they try to achieve things and get somewhere and be something. I remember a quote from a, a fellow who, won the quarter, who, won, who was the quarterback of the Denver Broncos many years ago uh, when they won the Super Bowl. And he won it, and somebody said, how does it feel? And he said, it feels kind of empty. He obviously thought all his life, man, if I win the Super Bowl, that will be the greatest thing in the world. And in the football world, it is the greatest thing. But did it fill his soul? No. 
Because there is no accomplishment you can do that will give you joy for more than a short period of time. And certainly people go from one accomplishment to the other to try to be something and try to feel good about their life. But if that's what you're pursuing, it's not going to happen. And then there's one other, as I tried to think this through, and that is a great many people just try to avoid the difficulties of life. Eh, don't talk about that. Oh, I don't want to go there. Oh, and they try to insulate themselves and isolate themselves and, and, uh, and just stay away from the world in whatever way they can. If we want to know the peace of God as a believer in Jesus Christ, We've got to say no to that common sense approach and say yes to righteousness. We've got to say no to sin, yes to righteousness. Ephesians 4 goes on this way. If indeed you have heard him, been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, put off the former conduct and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to to God. That's what we're going to learn about as we go through the book of Philippians. We're just going to learn a whole bunch of different circumstances and, and areas of thought and belief that have got to be lined up with God. And here's the verse that I hope you will memorize. It's a simple one. It's an easy one. But even as I, I, I saw this verse this week and I started using it in my own life, I thought, boy, I have got to work harder at that. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Do you want to live in peace? The absolute key is to have your mind and your life stayed in God. You see, the problem is, and these are the things we're going to encounter in the book of Philippians, there are many things that tempt us to move our mind away from God. Things that try to pull us away. We've got to say no to those things. Yes to God. And enjoy his peace. Occupy Wall Street. Tell all those people at Wall Street, with all that money, to give me some. Heard an interview with one guy. I think it was down in Seattle. They say, what, what are you, what are you uh, demonstrating for? Well, uh, I want them to pay my college loan. Well, well, why? Because it's what I want. Anybody else want somebody to pay their college loan? <laughs> I understand... <clears throat> that there's a lot of wickedness and greed on Wall Street. I, I read a book about it called Too Big to Fail. It was fascinating. I think there's probably a little bit of greed and wickedness on Main Street in Ferndale and probably on Holly in Bellingham and uh, Peace Portal in Custer. Well, we know there's some wickedness up there. <laughs> Sorry. You know, it is the international headquarters of you know what up there. But you know what? These people are dead wrong if they think that the condition of their life is the result of 
what the people on Wall Street have been doing. Because the condition of your life and of their life is the result of what you have been doing. And if you are a Christian, the peace in your life is not going to come when you get everything outside of you lined up just so. You know, it's kind of like the old guy on, on Ed Sullivan spinning plates. And, and we got a family plate, and we got a job plate, and we got a school plate, and we got a kid plate, or a mom and dad plate, or whatever. And we're working, working, and we think, well, I got three out of the four. If I just get this one. That's the way we try to live our life. And it doesn't work, and it won't work, because the only thing, the only place you're going to get peace is from God and letting Him work in the way that he wants to work in your life. God promises he can give you peace, but it begins with your relationship with him. You want to build peace in your life today? Believe in Christ as your Savior if you never have. And number two, give up on all those sinful ways of grabbing a hold of peace and put yourself at God's disposal. Father, oh, thank you for making it possible that we can live in peace. We confess that there are many times when we, we pursue the wrong things to make ourselves feel good. Some of them are sinful in and of themselves, and some of them aren't. So we don't look too bad, but we still aren't getting peace from you because we won't let you bring it. Father, help us to stay our minds on you so that we can know your perfect peace. Help us as we study through the book of Philippians. Open it to us. Give us a will to say yes to whatever you ask of us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.